0: Welcome to the Sunday Sermons podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Welcome. It's so great to have all of you here this morning. You might have noticed a few things are a little bit different. For one, there's not as many people. That's because there's 81 people at TCTC from Morrison Hill today. Um, There's 5,500 people there, actually. It's one of the bigger years at TCTC, but 81 of them are from Morrison Hill. And uh, keep them in your prayers. They'll be traveling back later on today. You also might notice that even though it's January 12th, that we still have Advent candles lit and a couple last... Christmas decorations. A lot of people worked hard to put most of them away. Here's why. This is the fourth and final week of a series we've been doing over the holidays called Arrival. And we've been celebrating and exploring and trying to apply to our lives what it means that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. He is the God who shows up. He is the one who's present in our lives. And not only is he that, but he inspires us to do that. Just in the same way that he is the light of the world, but then he tells us, now we are the light of the world. That he is the, the truth, the only truth, but he tells us to share the truth. In this same way, Jesus is the God who shows up. He's the only one who can do certain things. And yet he asks us in his in his authority to do those things another thing you might notice is that my voice sounds a little bit weird uh, I was at TCTC until last night and uh, one of the things that we did actually a bunch of people from Morrison Hill helped run was a huge encounter experience you'll hear more about that but that involves singing for about five six hours straight so you bear with my voice this morning I'll, I'll do my best and here we go over the last several weeks, we've rem- remembered several things together. One of this is that God always works with people in a certain, in a few specific ways. Uh, one is he just that he actually works up works with people. He teams up with people. That's one of the things that God loves to do. Uh, another thing we've looked at is he always keeps his promises. He always gives us joy and peace along the way, and then eventually gives us a kind of joy and peace we never could have experienced or even imagined when his final promises come true, when his final prophecies show up, when he shows up in a special way. Uh, we've looked at that in several different ways. We've looked back at Christmas, how that was so evident in the Messiah actually showing up. We've looked at it, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. We've looked ahead to his return that is still to come. Today we're focusing, this last day is about what about right now? What about, what, what do we do? Some of the things we've looked at all four weeks have been this. How God always wants us to respond by teaming up with him and with other people. And also to trust him, to obey, and then to share his love. And one more time, what that means is two things. It means to not only experience his love fully, to share his love as in we participate in the relationship that is even God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. He invites us into that community. He invites all of us into that. But he also asks us to share that in the sense that we we reach out to other people. So how exactly are we going to do that? That's where we're going today. And we're going to start where we left off last week with a story from Luke 24. Soon after Jesus had come back to life, um, the word's starting to get out. A few people have seen him, but not everybody yet. And, and the word's getting out. They're pretty excited. They're still really confused. Last week we talked about how he appeared to two of his followers who were walking along the road to Emmaus. And he kind of talked to them and helped them understand some things. And then when they realized it was him, he kind of disappeared. Weird story. Hope you go back and read it. But the rest of that chapter then continues. They go all the way back to Jerusalem. They spent the whole day walking away from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but they go all the way back. They're so excited. And then Jesus appears to not only those two guys, but the 12 and several other followers. And that night they have this little Bible study. And the Bible says that he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures it's very significant. We're retelling that story just briefly this morning. Here's why. There's two things that he used, two keys that he used to help them understand the Old Testament up to that point. They were just now so excited they're going to start writing the New Testament. That hadn't been written yet. He's still talking about the Old Testament at this point, but the New Testament is all about this. And here's why. Jesus unlocking the scriptures for them, he had two keys. And he tells us what they are right here. Luke 24, 41 to 45. He says, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. That's one. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. That's two. Two big things could tie all the other stuff together, all the commandments, all the amazing stories, all the prophecies, all the poetry, all the, all the amazing stuff that's all throughout the Old Testament is there's going to be a Messiah. He's going to come and he's going to save us for, in ways you can't imagine. And number two, then he's going to send you out to tell the whole world about that. That unlocks the whole thing. But when Jesus calls us, what's that look like? The best way I know how is, again, just like everything, let's look back into the Scripture. Some of this, I hope, is super familiar to most, if not all of you. Maybe you've heard some of these stories. And just in case, uh, the the sermon outline always has all the Scriptures that we talk about, including ones we barely just mentioned, and even a few others. That's so you can go back and study it on your own uh, later in your own ...with your own Bible and just you and God... ...and I would love you to do that. But let's walk through some of these stories fairly quickly today. But I hope you can see this pattern... ...because it's still how he interacts with us today. Matthew 4, we see Jesus call his first disciples. One of the things you see very clearly in this... ...is that he is Emmanuel. He is the God who shows up. He meets them where they are. He doesn't set up a tent somewhere... ...and invite people to come to talk to him. He starts out going where they are. They're fishing... He's down by the lake. He meets them where they are. The second thing you're always going to see, though, is that's just the beginning. God showing up is always going to be the first step. But the second step, he's going to say, come follow me. He'll meet you where you are. He will come to you. There is no place too dark, no place too broken, no place too far away that he's not going to meet you where you are, but he's going to call you out of that. And I hope you see that, see all of that in these stories. Matthew 4, Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once. They followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. You see the, see the two things? He's meeting them where they are, but he's calling them out of that. To follow Jesus, there's always going to be an element where you're choosing to follow Jesus. And that's always going to require that you're having to leave something. Sometimes someone behind. Somehow or another, where you are is not good enough after you choose to follow Jesus. Where you are is good enough for him to show up there and meet you there, but where you are is not where he wants to leave you. That's just where he meets you. And he calls them out of that, and they start following. Let's keep going. Matthew 11. Here's a couple other things. Jesus just says this to everyone. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Don't miss these same ideas. These people who are... Carrying heavy burdens, which is all of us in one way or another. But he's asking us to come to him, to bring that stuff to him. We take action. We follow him. We leave behind whatever else we're trying to do, whatever bench we're resting on because we're so tired from carrying those burdens. We leave that behind and we follow him. We come to where he is. Matthew 19, Jesus told Him, he's talking to the rich young ruler at this point. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. See the leaving? See the following? It's a pretty clear pattern. It always happens. John 6, verse 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. There's A lot of stuff in that one. Let me take a quick break on the thing. I hope you notice that he's saying whoever comes to me, not just whoever kind of thinks that maybe what I say is true, but whoever leaves whatever else they're following and instead follows me is going to find this. But the other thing is this is kind of confusing for a lot of people. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. I remember as a kid I used to hear that and go, wait a second, I still get hungry. I still get thirsty. What in the world? Anybody else ever confused by that? I just want to unlock this for you. It's actually very simple. What he's saying is you're not going to be in hunger. You're not going to be in thirst. You're not going to remain hungry. That's not going to be who you are anymore. Because Jesus is the good shepherd. He's not saying you will never feel hunger, physical hunger, or even spiritual hunger. He actually tells us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to continually want more. That's not what he's not saying you'll never want anything. He's saying you're not gonna be in want. It's like in Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or I. depending on what version you're looking at, I, I don't need anything. I don't, I don't live in want. I don't live in need because I have a good shepherd. This idea of a good shepherd is all the way through the scriptures. It's such a beautiful thing. Isaiah wrote, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've all left God's plans to follow our own, and yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Psalm 23 is one of the most famous passages in all the scripture. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not live in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. It goes on and talks about how God provides for us. He protects for us. Jesus is not saying that you will never feel hunger. You will never feel thirst. He's saying, if you follow me along this journey, you're going to have what you need. You're not going to have to keep searching for a new answer or a better answer once you find this one. But you will have to keep following. That's why the book of Acts is called the book of Acts, not the book of strong convictions. (laughs) Are you with me? It's the act, it's what the apostles did about what Jesus showed them. And that's exactly how it always works. In John 10, Jesus says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I know my own sheep. They know me just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I will bring them also. They will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Once again, if you you squint even just a little bit, almost everything Jesus said, you see this global perspective happening. You see that he, he said that God so loved... There you go. Try that again. God so loved the world and you see him saying he's constantly saying hey he's talking to Israelites he's going I am that good shepherd you guys have been singing and praying that psalm about I am that and that's who I am but I got other sheep too it's not just you guys I'm gonna throw that in right here in the middle of me identifying who I am to you. Jesus, again, he's always calling people out of where they are and he will meet them anywhere. There's no place too far. A wonderful example of that is the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Lazarus is dead. If there's any situation that's just a little too far to come back from, it's probably being dead, right? Right? I mean, that's, that's kind of a line, you, it's kind of hard to cross. And yet, Jesus shows up at the tomb, and then Jesus shouted, He shows up, and then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus came out. He came back to life. He left the grave, and on the other side of that, he lived. Eventually he died again. Someday we'll see him in heaven. But he had a lot more life to live after that day. Jesus met him where he was, but he called him out of it and into something better than what he had had before. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus told told someone, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Once again, Jesus meets us where we are to rescue us. But he expects us to trust him, to obey him, to follow him, to take action, to leave whatever we've been trapped in, to leave whatever we've been doing up until that point, and instead to follow him, to put all of our trust in him instead of whatever else we've been putting our trust in, to take action. And he also consistently always expects us to share that, to spread that out. Not just in our own hearts, and in our own families, but definitely there. Not just in our own church, in our own small groups, and our own little, little circles that we run in, but obviously there. But literally to the whole world. His vision is so clear, it's almost hard to miss. And yet sometimes we still get lulled to sleep by the idea that what he just really wants us to do is show up to church sometimes, pray some prayers sometimes... And someday end up in heaven. His vision is so much bigger, so much deeper, so much more beautiful, so much more satisfying than what we settle for all the time. Jesus also says that he is even more fully present when people really need his help. This is where he still today, right now, shows up. This is where he is asking us as his representatives... ...to show up. Just like Jesus was ultimately... ...only Jesus could be on that level... ...love incarnate. He's asked us to be love incarnate... ...now. Following Jesus... uh, Always looked like that. Do you remember the story of defeating the, the 5,000? How many of have ever heard this story before? Good. I won't tell you the whole story because you've heard it, but I'm going to refer to it. I didn't want to tell you for granted. In that story, which by the way, a bunch of stuff happened in this one day. Jesus, I, I got to tell you at this point, just for context, you probably heard this too, but just got to know. Because this wasn't just in a vacuum. Jesus went to be alone. His his friend, his cousin, the prophet who had, pro- who had led the way for him, John the Baptist had just gotten killed and he goes to be alone and grieve and when he gets there there's 5,000 families not just men they only counted the men there's 5,000 families there tons and tons of people and instead of kicking them all out Jesus takes that time he was about to spend alone grieving and serves them and heals them and teaches them spends that day with them and his disciples see that When he starts feeding them, it's so significant. It just sounds like this cute little story I love in Sunday school. We always have the little kid with the lunchbox. And no matter what you have, you can bring it to Jesus. Absolutely, absolutely, that's so true. But don't miss this too. Jesus himself didn't just levitate food everywhere. He made it happen, but he made his disciples hand it out. They had to keep coming back to him with an empty basket. Somehow it's full again. They take it out and share it again. Over and over and over again. What a beautiful picture of the same way that he asks us to serve in this people today. We keep coming back to him. He refills us the way that only he can. And then we go out and we represent what he's doing. And when we do that, that's when things can sometimes get really dramatic. One of the experiences I will never forget uh, among all the wonderful experiences we've had on youth trips and mission trips and everything. If you want to know more about where is Christina Shuey here today? I know Josh Hensley and Christina Shuey. You need to talk to them. They could tell it way better than me. But there was a time that we were on a Lakota mission trip. and We did not have enough food. But we had agreed to sh- uh, serve the um, Native American people that we were working with. We had agreed to serve them first. And if that meant we didn't even eat, that was okay. And there were way more of them that showed up than we expected. But we just prayed and we said, God, we're just going to have to trust you on this. We had the same amount of food that we had the night before and we had run out, just us, just our group. They start serving. And as they're serving, all the Native Americans went through and we're like, is there still food? And Christina and Joshua. like, yeah we kept serving we all go through there's still food they all went through again we all went through again there's still food we went home with leftovers I'm not I'm not kidding you I'm not kidding you this really happened and it doesn't happen all the time there's a lot of times that I'm making sandwiches at home and there's four boys at my house (laughs) and I'm like hey God this would be a really good time and it doesn't happen most of the time. But when we're out doing the things that are super important to the heart of God, every once in a while, he still even does miracles like this. Every once in a while, when we're doing the stuff that he is passionate about, every once in a while, stuff still happens. And that same night, that same night of this big day, uh, is when he walked on water and came out and Peter walked him. I love this painting. Have you seen this one? You should should check this out in full color and in all its glory. But man alive, this is the view that Peter had as he's sinking. That's what you have to grab onto and then he pulls you up and you get to walk on water. Wherever you are this morning, that's the view that you still have. But you're not being invited just to not drown. Jesus is not just going to hold your hand and say, it's okay, I'm here. Try and breathe the water. That's not Jesus. He's going to pull you out. He's going to meet you where you are, but he's going to pull you out of that and take you somewhere you never imagined being before. Let's keep going. Matthew 18. More words directly from Jesus. I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Where two or three gather together as my followers... I am there among you. This is another one that trips people up. I don't even have time to, to go into the depth of so why doesn't he answer every single prayer if there's at least two or three people? Here's what I do want you to notice though. For two or three gather together as my followers. Two or three gather in my name, some translation said. Two or three gather under my authority. Two or three gather doing the stuff that I am passionate about. You follow me? That's what he's really talking about here. The other question is a good question. Come talk to me about it later. This is what I hope you see in this verse today. Where two or three gather together and they're doing something that I am passionate about. Something that I am behind. Something they're doing in my name. They are doing this because they know they are love incarnate on this planet now and that's why they're doing what they're doing. I am right there in the middle of that. Matthew 25 verses 37 to 40. It's the end of the, or actually the very middle of the story of the sheep and the goats. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. The thing I hope that you catch more than anything this morning from this is this is not when it says the least. He's not talking about value. He's not talking about some people are more valuable than others. These are the really important people and these are the least important people. He's talking about people that are in the greatest need. They have the least ability to help themselves. They have the least resources, the least ability to help, them, help themselves if nobody else helps them. The truly helpless. The least of these is not people who are less important. Everyone is important to Jesus. The least of these are those who, who just don't have anything to do on their own. Nothing. Somebody has to rescue them. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. I don't know if you guys know this, but it's a national thing. And I I think it's an awesome moment to, to remind you about some people who cannot help themselves. They're absolutely super valuable to Jesus, but they are completely helpless to help themselves. That is the unborn. This is not a political statement. This has nothing to do with anything crazy like this. That, this is just the truth. Here's some fundamental truths about how God used all humanity, born and unborn. I'm just going to read these. and We're going to go. We've got, we've, we've got some other great places to go this morning before we wrap up. But you've got to hear this. Number one, all human beings are made in the image of God. All human beings are made in the image of God. Taking another's life for selfish reasons is Murder. That's just a fundamental truth. God's grace and mercy covers every sin. Every sin. Murder in any form is covered. But it's still sin. God's dream is that we truly value every human life. That includes not only unborn people, but single moms, absent dads. That includes everybody in the whole situation. Are you with me? And that includes everybody in any situation. God expects us to truly value every human life, whatever they look like, wherever they are, however much resources they have to help themselves at all and however completely unable to help themselves they are. He values all of them. Truly showing up for the unborn, listen, it means far more than trying to change our country's laws. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to change our country's laws. I'm not saying that we should try to make things be illegal if they violate the heart of God. I'm just saying I don't think that's the answer. I don't think that's how God planned this to work. I think he planned for his church to change people's hearts. I think he planned for his church to reach out to everyone involved in every situation and to reach out in those ways, be his love in the whole situation, to reach out to meet people where they are and Invite them out of that. Invite them to Him. I hope this is making sense. We see human lives as sacred. We must be willing to love, to give, to shelter, to empower, to adopt. If we really want to make a difference, the answer is far bigger than just rules. We must train our children to respect each other and God's values and create truly godly christian homes at the bottom of this is a whole bunch of scriptures that kind of just talk about god's view of the unborn i don't have time to walk you through this i hope you do i want to highlight just a couple just so you get the flavor of how god speaks about unborn uh, in Genesis 25, it's talking about the story of Jacob and Esau, and just just in the same breath as saying that this is how this happened, this happened, this happened, it says that the two twins were struggling together in the womb, and when their mother prayed about it, God says, uh, "Yeah, that's because they're going to do that their whole life. They're already who they're going to be." And I don't know, uh, most of you, it looks like there's a lot of parents out there. Some of you are, are not, uh, that, that you, this won't make as much sense, but it's still relevant. At my four boys, all four of them, looking back, I remember the way they acted in the womb is still the way they act today. Exactly. Okay? One of the most dramatic is Drew. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to say just tell one of the stories. Please don't pick on Drew. He's one of the most wonderful people in the world. But he's got the longest fuse you've ever seen. To get Drew mad, you have to work. But if you ever do make him mad, you better run. And he was exactly that way in the womb. Sometimes we were so afraid. Noah was very active in the womb. And we were, we were afraid something was wrong. And Kim would mess with him, mess with him, mess with him, nothing. And then all of a sudden, after like forever, she's drinking caffeine, she's doing anything she could think of, all of a sudden, boom, he'd kick so hard, you'd actually see the shape of a foot. It's still who he is. Are you following me on this? That's very clear in scripture. In Psalm 139, David praises God for weaving him together in his mother's womb. It's poetry. He's not saying God literally weaves him. But there's a clear image here that God is involved in that process. Isaiah 49.1 says, The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb he called me by name. Jeremiah 1.5 says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. There's a great story we just looked at a couple weeks ago where John the Baptist, his mother was pregnant with him and Mary shows up pregnant with Jesus and John the Baptist as a baby jumps in the womb already aware of what's going on. This is clear throughout the scripture that the unborn are already alive. They are already people. They are probably the most least of the least of these. Again, not out of value in any way but because they just can't help themselves. And I hope that God inspires all of us to help them as well as the rest of the people he's called us to reach out to. As we wrap up this morning, though, I want you to know that in the near future, we're going to be talking more about than just the unborn. We're going to be talking about how does God want us as a church to reach out more. How does God want us to share the gospel more? How does he want us to share his love more than ever? How does he want us to reach out, to meet people where they are, to invite them into Jesus and into our community more than ever before? In Acts 1.8, Jesus gave his first disciples a plan that still works really well. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's where it always has to start. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. That's Always the job. He says, you're going to start in Jerusalem, then throughout Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. If you want to look it up online, there's a whole sermon about that. There's actually a whole sermon series from about a year ago about how that works. But it's a pretty simple plan. Here's how it works. You start where you are. They were in Jerusalem. Then you spread out just a little bit. Samaria was a place, there were some cultural and other barriers that they had to cross. They had to break down those barriers to get into Samaria. We've got to break down the barriers between us and anyone else that God still hasn't reached yet. And we've got to figure out how to do that. And also it takes teamwork. We've got to team up to reach the world. Because again, God has asked us to reach the ends of the earth. All nations, everyone, everywhere. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. John 13, 34 to 35, one more time. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove that you are my disciples. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only savior, the only Messiah, the only Christ, the only rescuer. All those words mean the same thing. He's the only one who can save us. And yet we're part of that process because he said we are. He commanded us to be. Jesus is the only light of the world and yet if we follow him, we are also the light of the world and he has commanded us to shine his light into the world, to light up the way for other people so that they can also follow him. He said that we are the salt of the earth and only he truly has something that could flavor and preserve and change the world the ways that God wants it to be changed and yet he said that we, when we act in his authority, when we act within his will, when we do the things he has called us to do, we are the salt of the earth. We are responsible to do those things. When you spend everything that you have loving God and others, you're going to find joy and peace that the world can't give. There's something even better. You're going to give them That joy and peace. There is absolutely nothing else worth living for that's more fulfilling or better than sharing the truth with God. I'm sorry, sharing God's truth with other people. Well, wow, how did I get that, that backwards? There's nothing better than sharing the truth that God gives us, the peace that God gives us, the joy that God gives us with other people. To use the resources He gives us, to use the time and the talents and the energy and the dreams that He gives us to reach out to others. To meet them where they are. Not in condemnation, not in judgment, not in trying to make them follow our rules before they even understand why we have rules but in actually reaching out to them, meeting them where they are, but then calling them into the life of God. And if that can be what we are passionate about, that can be what we are defined by. That is everything we are. That's when we are the church. That's when all of Jesus' dreams come true. That's when God with us, that's when we fully experience it. That's when people who hang out with us know that they are in the presence of God. This morning as we sing one last song together, I invite you to do whatever it takes for you to respond to Jesus' call. He's meeting you where you are. That may be a wonderful place. You may know Jesus better than I know Jesus and everything's wonderful, but maybe it's telling you to do something very specific. I hope you respond to that this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe maybe you've not, never given your life to Him. You've never been baptized. What, whatever it is, I invite you to do that. If, if Whatever it is, would you stand? Would you sing with us? Would you make the choice that you need to make this morning to respond to God with us, to respond to Emmanuel, and to become that to a greater level than ever before in the community? That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.